0: Was, uh, that, was, that was very fitting. That was very powerful. That was very inspiring. Uh, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, it is the beginning of Jesus' journey to the cross. It marks uh, what we call the Holy Week in the Christian calendar, uh, what some people like to call the beginning to the end of Christ. Uh, it's the most sacred week, and I really will encourage you to take some time uh, to make it a reflective week. Uh, some people like to call it the end of the Lent season, uh, which the 40-day fast, uh, which, you, which will end on Friday. Uh, a lot of people try to observe different things, uh, fasting, meditation, uh, and I will encourage you to try to engage in some. Uh, Not necessarily from just a religious point of view, but because it's, it's, you know, the essence of our Christian faith uh, is this week. It is what happened between uh, the Palm Sunday, Saturday actually, uh, which is yesterday until Friday. Uh, That is what, that was the beginning of that journey uh, for Jesus and the beginning of him going to accomplish the reason why he came. It's a very important month, it's a very, very solemn month. By God's grace, we'll be, we'll be having a service on Friday. Uh, I want you to be there. Uh, this is a very, very critical. All right, We shouldn't just be, don't make your Christianity a Sunday, Sunday. Uh, don't make it also Christ, uh, Christmas and Easter only. Uh, but this Friday is important. I want you to come. We're going to be sharing. We're going to, be, we're going to take some time to worship. Uh, we're going to take our Holy Communion. Uh, it's going to be a very, very solemn service. If you can come fasting, I think that will be a great thing. Uh, if you can do a little more fasting, maybe in the course of the week, meditation, reflection, uh, it's a time to really, really, really focus and allow God uh, to give you a better understanding of what the cross of Jesus Christ means, Amen. Uh, so I'm hoping it will be, I'm praying it will be a fulfilling week. It will be a, an inspiring week. And at the end of the week, we will come out uh, with a better understanding of what this season means to us. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you because your word is Quick. Your word is powerful. Your word is yea. Your word is amen. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us, inspire our hearts, open our eyes of understanding, help us to be able to see, help us to be able to hear, and help us to be able to understand. Help me to be able to speak your word in a manner that your people will understand. Thank you because you have answered our prayer. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Uh, this Easter season we're going to talk about the cross of Jesus. Uh, I think we theme it from the, the journey to the cross or from the cross to the crown. That's what we call it. So we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to speak about the cross. Uh, and I'm going to start from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, and I would like all of us to read it together. It should show up on the screen. All right? And I would want all of us to read that verse together. Can we read it? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perished. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. The cross is the central, or is central rather to the Christian faith. So without the cross, there is no salvation. Understanding what happens at the cross is central to a believer's ability to understand who God is. The cross is so critical. Everything that Jesus stands for can only be understood from the standpoint of the cross. In fact, the Bible will not really be of any benefit without seeing it from the light of the cross. So the cross is critical, the cross is central, and it's uh, central for a few reasons. Number one, at the cross, we see God's clearest revelation of himself. God reveals who he is in the clearest term at the cross of Calvary. At the cross we see God's sovereignty, at the cross we see his providence, at the cross we see God's benevolence, at the cross we see his justice, we see his power, we see his holiness, we see his mercy, his glory and victory. Everything that God stands for is revealed in the clearest form at the cross of Calvary. That is why it is central. Praise the name of Jesus. Also at the cross, God's love is personified. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love was personified. It went beyond the smooshy love feeling. There was now a real person attached to it. It went beyond, you know, we say God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. I mean, we'll quote that around Christmas. Yeah. The birth of Jesus revealed God's love, but to an extent. All right? The full demonstration of God's love occurred at the cross of Calvary. First John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how we know that he loved us. Right? And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So the cross personifies God's love, it becomes real. It's no longer theory, it's no longer feeling. Is no longer something we project, something we try to describe. If you understand the cross, you understand the love of God. Amen. Number three, the cross demonstrates God's power to save. You see, the death on the cross is the worst kind of death. And it proves to us God can save any kind of a man. Hallelujah. 1 Timothy 1:15 says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. This is Apostle Paul. Trying to tell us, look, if I can be saved, anyone can be. This was a man who was the Osama Bin Laden of his days. Except he didn't get killed. Right? The was a murderer. At the cross, the extent of the suffering, the extent of how God was going to allow his only begotten son to go through in terms of the way he was treated, the way he died, proves to us that God's power to save is unlimited. Praise the name of Jesus. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God's power to save is unlimited. He can even save you. Guess what? He saved you, he saved me. And no one is exempted. No one is unable to be saved. Praise the name of Jesus. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Jesus is able to save to the full extent, to the uttermost. No matter, he's not going to save a little bit. He's not going to save a bit. He's not going to save halfway. He's able to save to the uttermost. He's able to wipe everything clean. That's why God can wipe anything. Hallelujah. That is why God can forgive anything. Because of the cross. Praise the name of Jesus. That is why the message of the cross, though foolishness to the world, To those who are perishing, they can't see it. You know why just the cross, somebody hanging on the cross means so much. It means a lot. To those who are being saved, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God to save. The power to save anyone. The power to save from any situation. To save, to heal, to set free. Praise the name of Jesus. But also the cross is the standard of what it means to be a Christian. The cross sets that standard. In Matthew chapter 16, if you read verse 21, Jesus said, I must go to the cross so that you can be saved. He began to share. This was the beginning. I mean, when he was towards the end of his life, he began to share to his disciples The Bible says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must. So this is not a will. Now, for salvation to occur, he began to tell them he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. At the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day... He raised the life. Jesus said, "This must occur. This is the standard. This must happen. If this doesn't happen, there will be no salvation. And if it happens less, there will be less salvation. So Jesus must go through those suffering, so he can be wounded for our transgression, so he can be bruised for our iniquities, right? So that he can lay, the iniquity, our iniquity, can be laid upon him." So that his suffering, his death, can mean we are saved when we come to God. Praise the name of Jesus. It's not our prayer that gets us saved. It's not our works that get us saved. Jesus, Jesus paid the price. When God looks at the cross, he's satisfied. That's why we are saved. Praise the name of Jesus. This is the standard. Now, if you go a few more verses, verse 25 in Matthew 16... Then Jesus said to his disciple, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. It becomes the standard. And follow me. So whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So it becomes the standard for what it means to be a Christian. You can't be a Christian until you take up the cross. Until you understand the cross. You can't be practicing Christianity of convenience. Many of us, that's what we practice. And I'm hoping after this Easter season, something will change. It is not you can't practice Christianity of convenience. You can't serve him when he walks. You know, the day you sleep early, that's when you come early to church. When you sleep late, oh, you have to sleep in a little bit so that you can come. That's convenience. So you can be my disciples that way. And Jesus is not looking for crowd, all right? He's looking for people who are serious about following him. Hallelujah. The cross becomes the standard. You must be able to pick up your cross. Now, Jesus picked up his cross. All right? He had to take his cross and walk. And he was nailed to that same cross. It was a very painful journey. Picking up the cross means we must be able to accept the painful part of being a Christian. We must allow our flesh to go through the crucifixion, the cross, the walk of the cross. We must be able to forgive Many of us can't forgive. You think you can be a Christian and still go along and just do whatever you want. You must be willing to forgive. You must be willing to to love. You must be willing to care. You must be willing to also lay down your life for others. Because if you are bent on preserving your life, you will lose it. But if you are... Willing to lose your life, you will gain it. Praise the name of Jesus. So the cross is very, very significant. We're going to talk a little more on Friday, and uh, hopefully on Sunday, we're going to talk. But before I round up today, I want to talk about, I want to uh, say a few things about the, the significance of Passover. All right, and I will take you to John chapter 12. I would like to use the account of John to understand how this journey to the cross began for Jesus Christ. In John chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says six days before the Passover. You know, Passover is Friday, all right? Jesus was crucified on Passover. So which is Friday. So if you count back, six days before we actually be Saturday, right? Uh, Saturday the 4th. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So Lazarus, many of us, you know the story of Lazarus. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus has two sisters, Mary. Matter. all right? Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Yeah, I think if Jesus raised you from the dead, it will be appropriate every time he shows up <laughs> to put up a dinner, right? <laughs> so I think this was probably a custom, and I think it's probably a custom all over the world that if Jesus raises you from the dead, you celebrate him anytime he's around, right? Guess what? He raised all of us from the dead. We were all dead in our sins and trespasses. Jesus came and gave us life. Now we have abundant life. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. So, Martha, Mary, Lazarus decided you know what? Jesus is showing up. We need to honor him. Uh, Martha, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. What a joy it, it will be. What a, what, a, what, a, what a wonderful, what an excitement uh, for them to be able to just honor Jesus again, you know, because he's in town. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nerd an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, I've read a little bit of the story, I mean, just to, to, to understand what is this perfume. From what I've gathered, in those days, people will try to Purchase something very valuable in order to, to, to invest. Similar to how people will buy gold today, right? So there was no stock market. There was no Bitcoin. There was no whatever, you know, things that tried, people try to invest in. People will probably have landed property as a way of investing their money. And a lot of the women would try to buy something very expensive, right? They appreciate with time. This was a very, very scarce commodity. All right, it was so expensive; it's worth a year's wages. So, just imagine a perfume that costs maybe fifty thousand dollars—an average wage. All right, it wasn't because they wouldn't use it. All right, so it wasn't that women that time. would, I mean, this will only be used by extremely wealthy people in those days. But ordinary people will put their money and buy it, all right, and save it. And this even appreciates with time because it was scarce. So when you need money, you can sell it for a lot of money. So Mary, this was, you can call this like a, a lifetime investment, something she had that was precious, very important to her. But Mary knew that Jesus, she could have spent all that trying to save her brother. It didn't help, right? You know, the brother was sick. The brother was at the point of dying. They did everything they could, took him to the hospital, had surgery, did everything. Their money, nothing they had was able to save Lazarus. Then Jesus showed up. Hallelujah. Jesus showed up and saved the day, and brought Lazarus back to life. So, Mary remembered why this was going on. Mary just, something jumped on her. She didn't even, I'm sure she didn't know what she was doing. If she thought about it, she wouldn't break that, because she didn't know what, you know. But something jumped on her. She was touched. She remembered what Jesus did, and the Bible says, She took, she went inside and took this perfume, very expensive and just poured it on Jesus' feet. I'm sure people were like, what are you doing? That's unreserved worship. And began to pour it on Jesus' feet and did more than that. Began to wipe his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You know, and one of the disciples, you see, people who are, whose hearts are not right, get offended by other people's worship. You see, people who really, you know, we, unfortunately, we, are, we, we don't worship that, that, that God that, that way anymore. We have become more reserved in our worship. You know, we are, you know, we are more careful with our worship. Our culture, you know, looking proper is more important than worship, all right? You know, if people even worship too much, sometimes we, uh, we're like, what's wrong with her? What's, what's wrong with this person? Is she okay? Is he okay? You know, but Jesus is, Jesus is always looking for that kind of worship. And I'm praying, I'm hoping we can give him that kind of worship. Because we, we, we know what he's done for us. He's brought us from death to life. Most importantly, we have assurance of resurrection because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. So Mary poured it all out. And Judas is Iscariot. There's always Judas around. Judas said, he was he objected. It wasn't his perfume, by the way, right? He, not he wouldn't he not do he wouldn't he not waste his perfume that way. Alright? Why wasn't this perfume sold? And the money given to the poor. He even tried to rationalize it, but his heart isn't right. Alright? and some people try to say that today. They try to, you know, make very intelligent arguments. That, you know, that money you're giving to God, can't you give it to the poor? You know, you can do both, okay? Jesus is not against giving to the poor. No, why can't we do both? Why can't I be generous to God, and why can't I, why can't I be generous to the poor? But that was not his intent. He didn't have a right heart, all right? Uh, Verse 6 tells us, he did not say this because he cared about the poor. You see, next time people say those things, and I've done this several times, you ask them, how much have you given to the poor? You see, people who, tried, who think they care about the poor, who try to attack other people, you know, oh, you should be giving that to the poor. Oh, this preacher should be giving, Ask them, how much have you as a person given to the poor? I will respect you if you have given so much to the poor. If you have done so much yourself, I think you will have a voice. So Judas didn't really care about the poor. All right? Jesus, Judas was offended by Mary's worship because his heart wasn't right. All right remember I remember gave, I gave, the, the day I gave my life, I was at a, at a fellowship where worship was going on. And at first, I was offended by other people's worship, all right? Because they were worshiping and they were crying, and I'm like, how can someone be crying? Now, I wasn't saved. I was just invited. I just went to this village, and I saw people on their knees. I saw people shaking. I saw tears, and I'm like, I was offended. It's not that serious. Now, the problem was I couldn't feel it that way. I knew some of the songs. I could raise my hand when they were raising hand you know I could move but I wasn't touched I saw these people giving unreserved worship they didn't care one guy near me was holding like a like a column holding a column I'm like what and just just worshiping Jesus unreserved lost in worship you know, true worshipers don't care what other people are saying. And I want you to become true worshippers. You see, true worshipers don't worship just because other people are worshipping. You know what we do these days? We look around. Is anybody on their knees? Then I don't want to be the first one. I don't want to be the first one. You know? Is anyone really feeling it? Okay, let me feel it too. That's... That that's what we do. No, true worshippers don't do that. True worshippers don't care. True worshippers are unreserved. All right? True worshipers want to give him everything they have, even if it offends some people. So Judas, there will always be Judas around you who said, I think yours is too much. You know, I think you're taking this thing too seriously. And sometimes it's people who have been there for a longer time. Jesus has been there. Judas is supposed to be one of the closest people. One of the twelve. Right? One of the ministers. You know, you don't take this thing too seriously. I see the way you are. You're becoming too passionate. You're becoming too zealous. No, don't listen. Because Jesus had a very, very wonderful word to say. So, He didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself. So what was put into it? I like the person that wrote this, right? And Jesus defended her. You see, Jesus, we always defend true worshipers. I want to encourage you, if you're a true worshiper, keep on doing what you're doing. Jesus is going to rise to your defense one day. Hallelujah. Jesus defended her. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Now, I don't think Mary even understood what Jesus was saying. I'm like, now, but she was moved. She just followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. She was moved, she was overwhelmed. And I've seen examples of that where sometimes I try to play Judas in people's life, where they're just they're just about to give something. I remember when we were when we were having our first building, and one of our members, you know, a couple said, you know, we we'll take we'll take uh, equity from our house and we we'll give it to the church. I'm like, I actually went to the house, I drove to the house to say, are you really sure? I don't want scandal. Are you really sure? And they say, yes, the Lord wants us to do this. So once in a while, I've come across people who just do something crazy like that. But every instance, I've seen that Jesus will always rise to defend people who will go out of their way in their worship. All right? In your service, in your worship, give it all you have. Jesus will stand. Jesus will defend you. Hallelujah. So Jesus defended her. Jesus said, look, what she's doing is even deeper. Is bigger than what she thinks. What is moving her, she doesn't even know. She has no idea. She, this was intended by who? By God. That she should save this. Now, she saved this perfume for the day of my burial. And Jesus said, look, you will always have the poor among you. For you will not always I can just imagine how quiet everybody just said. You know, I'm sure they had no clue what he was talking about. And I think by this time they figure out, if you don't know what Jesus is talking about, just keep quiet. Right? That's why Peter didn't say anything this time. This has been, this has been three years. I mean, he knew that. I mean, <laughs> sometimes you just keep quiet. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he has raised from the dead. So Lazarus' testimonies have gone around. You know, they heard that Jesus is there again. Lazarus is there again. A large crowd came. All right? So the chief priest Made plans to kill Lazarus as well. See, people who don't believe in Jesus, who don't want to believe, they would not believe regardless. I mean, what other evidence do you need that Jesus was true than the fact that he raised somebody from the dead, right? Now they went to the next level and said, you know what? How about let's even kill the guy that was raised from the dead? Let's destroy the evidence. They made plans to kill Lazarus, for an, on account of him, because of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus, and they started believing in him. This is what happened on Saturday. The next day, a great crowd, which is now Sunday, Palm Sunday, which we call Palm Sunday, had come to the festival to hear what Jesus was on his to hear, I mean, heard that Jesus was on his way to Lazarus. I mean, to Jerusalem, rather. They took palm trees or branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Hallelujah. Now, where did this come from? I'm going to, you know, try to explain this. Where did they get this statement from? No, this statement they made didn't come from anywhere. It wasn't something they just made up. It was because this was a fulfillment. In fact, the verse they were quoting was, uh, you know, in verse 14, if you go to verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughters of Zion, see your king coming, seated on a donkey. So they already read that. Now, but the verse they were really using was in Psalm 118. If you go to Psalm 118, verse 25, Psalm 118, verse 25, the Bible says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. That actually, that's the word Hosanna. Hosanna is, come save us now. That's the word Hosanna. All right? So he's saying, save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Verse 26. blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this is a prophecy. This is something they've been waiting for. In fact, if you go to verse 24, verse 24 of that Psalm 118 is a complete, if you, it's, it's, that's how it's completed if you, if you read the whole content. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. How do we rejoice? Save now, I pray, O Lord. Oh, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this was a very, very, very significant verse in the life of Israel, in the in the the nation of Israel. Now This is the day is also specific because this is a prophetic psalm. This is not just they're saying, This is the day, this is the day, like we sing all the time. You know, every day is the Lord the Lord has made. It's the day the Lord has made. We can make an argument there. And that's true. There's no day that the Lord didn't make. But this is much more significant than that. Because if you read the scripture, in in Daniel, and I'll take I I I'll read about. Two verses or so, a few scripture to really just I like this point to let you know that what happened here is specific. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, Daniel, this is one of his prophecies concerning from Jesus' time till now. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven and sixty-two servants. It will be rebuilt with streets and trench, but in times of trouble. Now, so Daniel is saying here, from the time the world goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, the time the world goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem actually happened in Nehemiah. How many of us have read the book of Nehemiah? That is when the word of Jerusalem was rebuilt. Now, this is written, believe, 530 BC. Daniel, the book of Daniel, was written 530 years before Jesus came. Now, so he's saying from the time that Jerusalem is restored, there will be the anointed one will come, right? And it will be 7 times 7, which is 49 years, plus 62 times 7, which is 434 years. So in total, he's saying 483 years, right? From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, the anointed one will come. All right? Now... This has been calculated by people who, who really understand this better. Now, in the Jewish years, Jewish years is 360 days. It's not 366 days. They've ever done any study about that. So if you multiply that by that number of, uh, of years, it gives us thousands of years, of days rather. And it's been calculated that when you tabulate that, it's about 444 four, four, B.C. that the the that the issue the decree was issued in Nehemiah chapter two. Nehemiah chapter two. It was giving us exact dates. Verse one says, "In the month of Nisan, which is the month of March, in the twenty-eighth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been." Had, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look sad? And on and on. If you go to verse 7, the king issued a decree. All right? For Nehemiah to be able to get all the help he needed. Get the timber, get the tree, so that he can go build the wall of Jerusalem. From that time on, three eighty. 483 years, multiplied by the number of the, when it was tabulated, he fell exactly on this day, this particular day. So, this is, so when he's saying, this is the day that the Lord has made, that was the moment. It was not just a random day, praise the name of Jesus. So, the Holy Spirit was orchestrating all this, Right? Holy Spirit was putting all this together, working all this together. God in his sovereign power. So there are people who knew by revelation that this is that moment. And look at what happened. The great crowd came. And they just took the branches and went to meeting. And they remembered Psalm 118 and they said, Come save us now. Salvation has come. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. So this is very, very specific. This is very, very important. Unfortunately, not everybody knew. I think Jesus alluded to that in Luke chapter 16 or so. Alluded to that that a lot of people missed that. This is called the day of visitation. This is called a, a day that is very, very critical. The king has come, salvation has come, and I'm praying, I'm hoping that today some people's salvation has come. So, the prophecy about the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, they are well documented very, very powerful, very, very specific that we must pay attention. So I pray as we go through this week, we are like these people who understood what was going on. We're not just like the rest of Israel who are just going about their business, who didn't really care. Thankfully, many of us are not the Pharisees, the scribes, who are even on the other extreme, who participated in crucifying Jesus. But there were a lot of onlookers who did not discern a day of visitation. Hallelujah. That's why you always see Easter fall around this March, April, because this is where well calculated and tabulated. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. I want us to rise up and pray. Because I believe strongly that God wants to get our attention during this season. He wants us to take this season seriously. He wants us to not just go through it like any other season, any other week, any other Friday. Let this week mean something to you. Let it be a time when you are able to reflect and understand the message of the cross and the power behind the message of the cross. I want us to bow down our heads. But before I pray for everyone, I think it will be appropriate to pray for anyone here who want to surrender their life to Jesus. You're here today. Your relationship with him is shaky. And you know in your heart. You don't need anyone to convince you. You know that your relationship with Christ is shaky. You can't say he's there. You can't say, ah, you know he loves you, but you can't say you love him. You can't say you have even given him much thought, given him much room in your life. But you want to do that today, I would like to pray for you. I'd like you to raise up your right hand. I would just like to pray for you. Thank you. God bless you. Just raise it. Raise it. I'd like to, yeah, raise it. God bless you. We have one person, two people. Any other person in the congregation? Because I believe that this is for you. This message is exactly for you. I want you to raise it well. I want to notice, okay, we have three people. God bless you. We have more four, five, God bless you. Any other person, this is. Now, I want you to do a, uh, some, take that hand and plate, place it on your chest. That your right hand, place it on your chest. And I'd like you to repeat after me. I want you to say, Father, I thank you for the cross. Thank you for demonstrating your love for me by allowing your son Jesus to die on the cross of Calvary for me. I'm sorry I haven't really paid attention to this. I'm sorry I haven't given this much thought. So I have lived my life just on my own. But today, I repent and I surrender myself I put my faith on Jesus' finished work on the cross. I believe that he died for me. I believe he he was buried for me. He rose from the dead for me. So that I might be saved. Come into my life, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a new life. And help me to walk with you from today. Thank you because you have answered my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us all to just lift up our hands and just ask him, Lord, this season, give me a discerning heart. Can we pray that prayer? Lord, this season, give me a discerning heart. I don't want to just walk through this season without recognizing your visitation. I don't want to be like the rest of the Jews who had no clue what was going on. I want to be part of that crowd who who keyed into what you're doing. Who recognized that this is the moment. I want to be the part of the people who shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest. Lord, touch my heart. Fill my heart with inspiration. Let me come out of this Easter season knowing you more, understanding you more, and understanding what you have provided for me on the cross. Thank you because you have answered us. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. God bless you. You can remain standing while we have the confession.